And so appreciated the music tonight, as I did this morning. That was a blessing. Enjoyed uh, this last special, the men's group. Uh, enjoyed the orchestra up here playing and, and the choir. I love a good choir. I think, uh, that to me, I, I love all the music, that, that uh, the good music, the quartets and all those kind of things and groups and such, but I love a good choir too. I think they do something for a service that only a choir can do. And I uh, appreciate your choir. And I appreciate the fact that they sing on Sunday night. A lot of places I go, they'll sing on Sunday morning and they're not heard from again until the next Sunday morning. And, and uh, our church at home, our choir sings on Sunday morning and Sunday night. And if we're having special meetings, they sing every night of that and so forth. And you may go on and do Wednesday nights. I don't know, but ours uh, does that as well. And I, I, and I really enjoy people's involvement in the music program of a church. I've had a good time here today. Appreciate the kind comments and uh, just feel like the Lord met with us and, and has worked among us today and trust that He is not finished with that. And uh, I have a few prayer requests, if you don't mind, if I share some prayer requests for Wanda and I. We've been on the road now for four years. I stepped away from pastoring four years ago in March, in March of 19. And uh, we've been uh, full-time on the road since then. And that uh, motorhome out there is home for us. We sold our house. We're gone most of the year. It didn't make sense to leave a house there sitting empty. And I wasn't going to rent it out and whatever. And we sold it. And now we're uh, doing this. And God is blessed. But uh, we ask for your prayers as we travel. And uh, our uh, prayer requests are, um, uh, first of all, we, we're asking that uh, uh, your prayers would be with us concerning our motorhome. Pray that uh, God would be with our motorhome. Uh, it's a it's a 41 foot one. It's a 2008 model. It's well into its teenage years. We're praying it will not be a belligerent teenager. It hasn't been so far, and uh, we're thankful for that. And it's uh, running good, and and we're grateful for that. But pray for that. You know, I know when you get a an RV of any kind, motorhome or fifth wheel or whatever it is, uh, you're going to have maintenance. I realize that, and we have maintenance on it. We're we're aware of that, and we know that. But our prayer is we won't have anything that we get broke down to where it's really hard, big uh, bills or that keeps us from getting to our places that we need to go to. We want to stay at it. Amen. And uh, pray for our motor home. Pray for our health and safety. We travel on the road all the time. And, and uh, every week uh, almost we're going somewhere else. And, and uh, pray that God would give us traveling mercies as we go. And uh, then also, if you would, this is our biggest prayer request. Whatever time we have left. To serve the Lord, and we hope we have a good number of years, none of us know. But whatever time we have left, our prayer is that God would give us significant ministry. We want to have a ministry in the lives of people that matters. And I'm not talking about anybody saying, wow, look at Brother Wood's ministry. I'm not talking about that at all, but I want it to matter to God. I want to be used. We want to help further His kingdom, amen, and to build people in the faith and reach souls for Christ, and that's our desire, and pray for us that God would bless us with effective ministry. I want to mention a couple other things before I get into the message. You can go ahead and turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. But I want to say to your church, first of all, a few years ago you hosted the GIBF meeting here and I was able to come to that meeting and it was a great meeting. We appreciate what you invested into that and uh, you were a blessing to the lives of a good number of pastors and missionaries and evangelists uh, uh, from across the country and around the world. And uh, you had an impact uh, for Christ uh, through that meeting. We thank you for that. And now I want to thank your church as uh, Brother Ingram has stepped in as the moderator of the Global Independent Baptist Fellowship. And we needed him to do that. We needed him to provide some leadership and we're thankful that he's doing that. 
I had the privilege of doing that from 2008 to 2012. I did it for uh, four years, and, and I was grateful to be able to do that. But uh, what he's doing uh, matters. Uh, our meetings that we have around the country make a real impact on servants of God from around the country. And uh, I believe that, uh, you know, when your pastor goes, when I first started doing meetings like this, and it's been a long time ago that I started doing that, I had a couple of people, not a lot of people, but a couple of people said, well, why are you gone for stuff like that? And then other people, when I'd get ready to leave, they'd say, have a nice vacation. And if any of you ever go to any meetings for your work, you know, and go away and spend all day in meetings and, and all that, that's not a vacation. So I'm not complaining about getting to go. I enjoy going. It's a blessing to do that. But it's a time of refreshing and revival in the hearts of God's people. And uh, you're a pastor giving leadership in, really in a day and time where uh, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of movement in the wrong direction among uh, independent Baptist churches across America tonight. Not all churches are doing it. Thank God for that. There's still a good number that are not. But uh, we need uh, the uh, Global Independent Baptist Fellowship to be an encouragement and a challenge and to let them know they're not the only ones, you know, and, and uh, we're out there doing that. We appreciate his involvement in that and, and his and your church's involvement in Heartland Baptist Bible College. Our church was it still is much involved in both of these things. And uh, Heartland Baptist Bible College has a lot to do with training pastors and missionaries and evangelists for the future. And that's very important. Amen. You know, I figured out something in my ministry years ago. There are many pastors who I would characterize as their whole life is wrapped up in building a kingdom. And I chose in my life and ministry and saw the value of going beyond that and being involved in building the kingdom. I hope you understand what I'm saying there. Uh, for every pastor that's worth his salt, the main thing is pastoring that church. Like your pastor's so dedicated to this church and to the uh, success and, the, and going forward to the ministry here. But as he is used in the lives of others by way of preaching and ministry and leadership and so forth, he's helping to build the kingdom. You ought to pray for him in that. And I encourage you to do so. And like I say, I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful for his friendship. I'm thankful for his leadership that he is already providing uh, for this fellowship of pastors. And just want you to know uh, he's really one of the good guys. And he's loved and respected across the country. And he's being used of the Lord in the lives of other servants. Amen. Amen. Okay, just uh, thought I'd mention that tonight. I uh, pastored a church and, and uh, a lot of times people, and I'm not sure, I didn't explain it all and why it's important and all that, but I hope you get the idea and understand it is important. And it's something, as your pastor is used of the Lord in those things, that's your church having a part in furthering the cause of Christ in many places across the country and around the world through his ministry, through uh, this Global Independent Baptist Fellowship. So thank you. That's what I wanted to say tonight about that. 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 8. When you find your place, if you're able to do so, I ask tonight that you stand as we show our respect for the reading of God's holy word. Amen. I'm going to read verse 8 through 18. We'll have prayer, then you can be seated. And tonight again, we'll get into the message. In verse 8 of chapter 19, it says, And he arose, we're talking about Elijah here. And he arose and did eat and drink, and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. 
And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount. This is the Lord speaking to Elijah. Stand forth upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he answered the same as he did before. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, uh, uh, when, uh, and when thou comest anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Mahalah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We know your word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And Father, we pray tonight that you would use your word and hearts according to your will and purpose. I pray you would guide me in my thoughts and words and give me liberty and spiritual power to preach a message that you'll use uh, to minister to hearts. I pray tonight, Lord, that Faithful Christians will be edified and strengthened and built up in the faith. And I pray that backsliders will be restored. And any among us that know not Christ, I pray they'll be saved. And Lord, I pray you'll work in hearts, whoever it might be, with conviction uh, in, in the hearts and lives of people, that you might speak to hearts and draw people to right decisions and commitments for you. Father, we trust that you'll work to, uh, and, uh, through your word and honor it tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. The setting of what we just read this evening is uh, given in verses 1 through 7, uh, and I didn't read that of this chapter, but in verses 1 through 7, Elijah was under the juniper tree. Now, when you hear about somebody being under the juniper tree, that's not a good place to be. Now, there's nothing wrong with juniper trees, but if, you, if they're under it like uh, Elijah was, that's not a good place to be. He had fled after his contest with the prophets of Baal. You know, after the prophets of Baal, where he had called down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel, and he slew 450 prophets of Baal, and Jezebel vowed to kill Elijah by the end of the next day. And when she made that vow, Elijah fled. And he fled a day's journey into the wilderness, and he rested under a juniper tree. He requested that God would kill him. 
He said, I just soon go ahead and die as face this woman and what these things that I have to face here. And I think it's interesting. He asked God to kill him. And the reason he was where he was is because he had fled from Jezebel so she couldn't kill him. He got there and he wanted to die anyway. And so uh, that tells you what discouragement can do to a person. It makes us think wrong. He went to sleep under the juniper tree and the angel woke him up twice. And each time the angel woke him up, uh, the angel of the Lord fed him both those times. And then after he'd been fed the second time, God sent him to Mount Horeb. Now let me just say a little bit about Mount Horeb before we get any farther into this. Elijah spent 40 days traveling in the same wilderness that Israel traveled in for 40 years. And you know, while Israel was in the wilderness traveling for 40 years, God uh, sustained them with supernatural food called manna. And for the 40 days that Elijah traveled, he was sustained by the miracle food that the angel of the Lord served him in verse 5 and verse 7. And then Israel had left Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, to go to Canaan. Elijah left Canaan to travel to Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. Mount Horeb is also called the Mount of God. In verse 8, it's also in Exodus 3 and Exodus 4, it's called the Mount of God. This is where the burning bush was located, where God called Moses to lead Israel out of the land of Egypt, the same mount. It was Mount Horeb where Moses first called water out of the rock. Moses twice spent 40 days on this mount, receiving the Old Testament law on two tables of stone. Mount Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai, is a very significant, sacred, solemn place deep in the wilderness. This is where God spoke to, uh, through Moses and, and to Israel multiple times. Here God also ministered to Elijah in a very significant way. And he put Elijah back on the path of serving God. There's a lot has gone on in that special place. I want you to notice in our text now, in verses 9 and 13, God asked a question of Elijah. He said, what doest thou here? You think about that. First of all, the first part of it, what doest thou? Elijah was brooding over his circumstances. Jezebel was trying to kill him. He felt like he was the only one that was still serving God. Elijah had deserted his post of duty. All of Israel had just in the previous chapter proclaimed that the Lord is God. And you know, that was the, the purpose of Elijah's ministry. By the way, the name Elijah means the Lord is God. That's what his name means. And God was using him. And finally, the people who had been so wrapped up in Baalism, they cried out and said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. And they, at this point in time, needed a prophet. And they needed this prophet to teach them and to encourage them and lead them in their following of the Lord. And Elijah was right here under the juniper tree feeling sorry for himself. And I want you to know God's question was not a question for information. It was a question of condemnation. Uh, I believe in the way we would have said it if we were God, and thank God we're not, what he was saying to Elijah is something like this. What in the world are you doing here? What are you doing? God knew where Elijah was and he knew what he was doing. He didn't have to ask about that. You follow what I'm saying? He wanted Elijah to see what he was doing. I'd like to ask you a question today. 
what are you doing here? Of course, Elijah was, uh, I, what I read about it, uh, maybe as much as a couple hundred miles from Mount Carmel, where he had called down fire from heaven by now with the going to the, uh, of course, he's on Mount Horrible and God asked, what are you doing here? Uh, God had led him up there, but he was a long way from where he was supposed to be. He was not where he should be. However, he was still very much within God's reach. I like that, don't you? We never get out of his reach. He was in a very special place, but he was in a very bad condition, emotionally and spiritually. However, he was a little better off than he was in verses 4 through 7. He wasn't still wishing he could die. And he wasn't just laying there waiting to die. You know, I think when he went to sleep under the juniper tree, he was hoping he wouldn't wake up. But now he has journeyed to this mount of God where God is meeting with him. I want to mention this tonight, and I'll not spend all the message on it, but many times you and I would do well to ask ourselves, what am I doing? Or what am I doing here? I think we would do well to ask ourselves that question on a regular basis and often. I think if you think about this with me for a few moments, many times if we would ask ourselves that, we would do, uh, do well not only to ask that question, but sometimes we would realize, you know, I haven't really given it much thought. Sometimes people are where they are, and there may be somebody here tonight, and maybe others here tonight, that uh, there's some event that took place in your life, some circumstance that came upon your life, good or bad, and your action was cause, uh, that you had to that circumstance cause you to end up where you are right now. And I'm not talking about geography now. I'm not talking about uh, at this specific uh, location. I'm talking about where you are spiritually in your life. At times we will realize, if we'll ask ourselves that question, that we're not doing what we should be doing. Many times if we ask ourselves the question, what am I doing, and we're honest with ourselves, we'll realize we're wasting time and energy and squandering opportunities to serve the Lord and be a blessing to others, and we're also maybe hindering or damaging our personal testimony by letting whatever moved you to that place in your life spiritually let it have that effect on your life. We may also find ourselves in places where we should not be location and condition-wise, like you might be tonight in a place of compromise. You know, compromise usually comes by erosion, not by explosion. You know, it's just little by little, little by little, just chipping away, and the old devil's relentless. And uh, the devil's crowd is also relentless. And they're out to get those that are standing where they ought to stand. People find themselves in places of compromise and disobedience and sometimes in a place of bitterness. I mentioned that in Sunday school today, and I'm going to stay on that, but you need to beware of your, uh, developing a bitter spirit. People find themselves in a place of pride, become prideful. You know, some good thing happens in your life, and you get to thinking you're really something. And that's a bad place to be. Sometimes you'll find yourself in a place of slothfulness. Or maybe somebody here tonight's in this kind of in the same place that Elijah was, in a place of self-pity. You know, woe is me. It's been so rough. It's been so hard. So-and-so didn't speak to me, or somebody did this bad or that bad. And, you know, I found a lot of people, think about this thought. 
A lot of Christians are stuck on the last thing that they've refused to get over. Amen. Brother J.C. Joyner was a good friend of mine. He pastored in Tucson, Arizona, literally for 60 years. He's with the Lord now. And, and uh, the last few years of his life, each time I saw him, he said, you know what I'm doing to people now? I, he told him to say to people now, he said, I'm, I'm telling them, you need to get thou over it. <laughs> and it uh, makes it sound, you know, real spiritual when you put thou in there. But, uh, you know, a lot of times we just need to decide, hey, this was rough, it was hard, it was difficult, it wasn't fair, but I'm just going to go ahead and get over it and go on. Quit feeling sorry for myself and do what God would have me to do. Elijah's answer when God asked him, what are you doing here, revealed his condition. Also revealed some things about the condition of Israel at that time. And his answers were in verses 10 and 14. Elijah's answer revealed that he was in what I would call the has-been mode. Think about his answer. Uh, Elijah had quit and was not going back. His answer was all about the past. I have been very jealous for the Lord. And by the way, Elijah did have a great past. God had used him greatly. He stood boldly before uh, he stood boldly for God and denounced Baalism. He stood boldly before King Ahab and delivered God's messages to this uh, heathen king. I mean, he was an Israelite, but he was a, a king worshiping Baal and, and false idols. And he stood alone against the prophets of Baal. Now, he wasn't alone, but as far as he was concerned, he was standing alone. His answer reminds me of what I would call has-been servants of the Lord. You know, there's a lot of Christians, you get to talking to them, and they say things like, I used to teach a class. I used to sing in the choir. I used to do what I could do for the Lord. But now I'm going to let somebody else do it. I've even had people say, I've served my time. Can I tell you tonight that serving God is not a sentence? It's a privilege. And we should always consider it a privilege. In my years as a pastor, one of the things that I didn't have patience with, and our church knew that, is when somebody would assume some kind of position or job or ministry in the church and, and they'd say, yes, I will do that. And it might have to do with working on buildings or buses, or it might have to do with teaching a class or choir or whatever, but they would accept some job in the church and then they would act like they were doing me and God and everybody else a favor. Now, I didn't have much patience with that because I always felt like, and still do feel like it, it's a privilege to serve God. Amen. And we should see it as that. I would say this, Concerning people that are in that has-been mode, past performance, no matter how great it's been, do not suffice for today. Past performances, no matter how great, they do not suffice for today. You may not be able to do what you used to do, but you should still be doing what you can for the Lord. Appreciate I visited with Brother Child some yesterday and today again, and he said something about, well, I can't preach like I used to, so I'm writing now. I just got to tell you, I would much rather preach than write. Uh, writing is work. 
And if any of you ever do that, that is work. And, and uh, I'm sure he would uh, just soon be preaching as writing, but he's doing what he can do for the Lord right now at this time in his life. You know, there's way too many servants of God, and I'm not just talking about preachers now, I'm talking about uh, people in the pew as well. There's way too many people who are saying, well, I can't do what I used to do, so I'm not going to do anything. We ought to keep on serving as we can, as long as God allows us to do that. Notice the tense of the question was, what doest thou? It was not, Elijah, what have you done? It's, what are you doing? Thank God for what he's used us to do in the past. Amen? Amen. But let's keep doing what we can for the Lord. Now, I'm going to spend time on this, but the condition of Israel was the worst it could be. They had forsaken thy covenant. That is, they had disobeyed the word of God. They had thrown down God's altars. They had stopped worshiping God and stopped serving God. And they had even slain God's prophets with the sword and killed his messengers, trying to make it so they didn't have to hear the messengers of God. They were in a great backslidden state. And so we look at Elijah here and what we've seen so far is not very encouraging, is it? Not very uplifting when we think about where he is at this point in time. Now I want to talk about some lessons that God taught Elijah when he got up, up there on Mount Horeb. Some lessons we need to learn. Notice the events in verses 11, 12, and 13. There was a great and a strong wind that rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks. But the Lord was not in the wind. I heard there was a tornado, uh, some tornadoes somewhere in, in Georgia in the last few days. And I know they're devastating. We have those in Indiana. And I know the damage they can do. But I've never seen a tornado that rends or tears up a mountain. I mean, this was some wind. And then the Bible says, after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire but God was not in the fire. I don't know if this is so or not, but I read a commentator who said the fire was, it was such a storm that lightning was sweeping all over and dancing on the ground and above the mountain and all that kind of thing. It looked like everything was on fire. I don't know if that's what it was, but I'm sure it was some kind of an impressive fire that was going on there. And, uh, but God was not in the fire either. After the fire in verses 12 and 13, there was a still, small voice. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out to hear from God. I believe that's a significant thing that happened. It was the still, small voice that moved Elijah. I believe when he wrapped his face and went out and stood before God, I believe he was reporting for duty. I believe he was ready to be restored and to get back at serving God like he had done so well for so long. I want you to think with me about this and say, I want to say some things about this. You know, being big and impressive does not guarantee God's presence. The presence of God is not measured by the velocity of the wind nor is it measured by numbers on a Richter scale to measure earthquakes, nor is it measured by the impressiveness of the fire. 
The truth is, previously God had worked through some spectacular events. When you think about it, a three and a half year drought, it's not spectacular like a flash and gone, but that's a, that's a huge event. It was a devastating event. It was a strong judgment of God upon Ahab and Israel. And then the widow's son was raised from the dead. That's pretty spectacular. He had done that. And God had sent fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice on Mount Carmel. Now that would have been sacrifice. I'd have liked to have seen that, but I wouldn't want to be too close to it. When I think about the intensity of that fire and what it did, it was an amazing thing. But this still small voice was not sensational, nor was it outwardly impressive, but it was powerful. It's what Elijah needed. It's what moved the servant of God back into the wholehearted service of God. The application I'd like to make to us concerning this tonight is we live in a day when people crave and they even insist on the impressive and the spectacular when it comes to church and religion. People demand large facilities, impressive facilities, and big crowds. And I'm not saying anything against nice facilities, so don't get upset all at once here. People demand and require all kinds of glitz and glitter in the services. They want impressive programs. They want worldly music. They want light shows. They want charismatic experiences. And that, they want those kinds of things. Many people have what I call a bigger and better mentality. Their attitude is, keep impressing me and then impress me more. And keep me feeling good and feeling better. What I'm saying tonight is many people, many people who name the name of Christ, not all of them saved, but no doubt some of them saved, many people pursue the wind, the earthquake, and the fire, while at the same time they ignore and resist the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit of God. When I talk about the still small voice, I know I'm among a crowd that most of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But in case I've lost somebody here, we're talking about the conviction and the wooing of the Holy Spirit of God in the hearts of people. There is nothing wrong with being big and there's nothing wrong with doing things better. And there's certainly nothing wrong with having nice facilities and there's nothing wrong with having good programs. Many times these things are the result of God's blessings. However, no one can manufacture or produce the presence and the power of God. I'd like with you to think with me for a little while this evening. I believe that much of what God does, He does through normal, outwardly unimpressive means. Let me just illustrate that. God uses things like consistent personal witnessing and personal invitations to church and consistent giving out tracts, even leaving tracts where people will find them. And that's not something that CNN is going to get you on the, 
their show and say, hey, somebody saw you downtown this week passing out tracks. Hallelujah, that's so impressive. It's not impressive. At least not outwardly so. God uses faithful, consistent Christian lives of obedience and service to the Lord. To those of us who know what that means, that's impressive, but it's not spectacular. Are you following what I'm saying? God uses things like personal Bible reading and a closet of prayer. And that's not even necessarily needs to be known by others. Between you and God, it's not wrong to let folks know that you do that, but nobody else is watching when you do that. God uses faithful, consistent Bible teaching and preaching to people who are hearers and doers of the Word. And you have that right here. You have a pastor who's a faithful teacher and preacher of the Word of God, isn't he? And I know there's people who are consistent about hearing and heeding the Word of God and let it work in your hearts and your lives. God uses godly parents who are faithful and consistent in bringing up their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. I could get started on this tonight. But parents, you that are raising children, don't you give in to the secular thoughts in the world today. God's Word is still right on how to raise children. The Bible talks about how to raise children. It talks about being a good example. It it talks about spanking children. It talks about making them accountable for their behavior. And even though it's not spectacular... Every once in a while I'm somewhere and I see somebody, some kid acting up like they're not supposed to. And I see, what I really like to see is I like to see mom or dad look over at them and catch their eye. And the kid straightens up. Because they know what's behind that look. (laughs) If they don't straighten up. That's not spectacular. But God is using that. And the devil is using the neglect of nurture and admonition to lose multitudes of Christian kids or kids from Christian homes anyway. God uses churches regardless of the size of the congregation or the impressiveness of the facilities. He uses churches that live and serve by biblical commands and biblical principles And that they understand that the Great Commission is the mission of the church. And they're involved in that. What I'm saying is God does much. I, in my opinion, God does much more through the normal, outwardly unimpressive, sometimes even mundane things that faithful servants of the Lord do. He uses those things much more than the outwardly spectacular. Let me illustrate it this way. A spectacular fireworks display is beautiful and very impressive. I can enjoy seeing one of those. But the little fire in your furnace is much more useful and much more important. Especially where I'm from, in Indiana, where that furnace is used many months of the year. And it gets really cold. 
And nobody's looking at that fire in the furnace and saying, wow, look at that thing. But people are kept comfortable. And people are kept alive. They don't freeze to death in the cold. They're kept healthy because they're in a healthy environment that way. You think about some of the things that's going on in the name of Christianity and Christendom today, and it's spectacular and it's drawn crowds and all this and that, but many times it's being done with a total absence of the presence and the power of God upon what's going on there. I want to admit to you that I am thankful for and I enjoy the impressive things that God has done in my life and my ministry and our church and our ministry from time to time. We've had, we've had a pretty good number of those heaven came down and glory filled my soul services. You know what I'm saying? We've had some real special celebrations where it's, it's uh, you know, big anniversaries and so forth. And it's been a hallelujah day and there's been a lot that's gone into it. As we mark a milestone and thank God for it and so forth. I'm thankful when, when God works and everybody sees and can even feel God working. I like that. I love it. I desire it as long as these impressive things are the result of and accompanied by the still small voice of the Spirit of God. I'm talking about real, not somehow manufactured by men. It's important that we understand that God works powerfully through that still small voice. I want to say this as I begin to wrap this up tonight, but good thing is God was not finished with Elijah. We read there in verses 15 to 18, and I'm not even going to talk about it, but he gave four tremendous prophecies to Elijah in verses 15 to 18. And he continued to work through Elijah in other ways as well. And these great prophecies that he gave to Elijah were pretty much fulfilled through the ministry of Elisha. Although Elijah had a part in those things. And then he told Elijah this. I have 7,000 who have not bowed to Baal. I think about that. This was a rebuke to Elijah. He was saying, Elijah, you're not the only one. But it was also an encouragement to Elijah because he was saying, Elijah, you're not the only one. Can I tell you tonight, you're not the only one? Canaan Baptist Church is a good church. It's a great church and God's using the church. But you're not the only one. Thank God he has other good churches with godly people who love God and are serving God day by day by day and serving Him, and God is giving them fruit and so forth, and would to God our number would be multiplied. Amen? Amen. Not only in these walls, but in these kinds of churches across America, around the world. Young people here tonight, some of you feel like you're the only one that's really trying to serve God. You're the only ones that have parents like your parents. <laughs> and don't roll your eyes when you say that. Thank God for the parents you have. Amen. Amen. By the way, I try to tell Christian, especially teenagers from time to time, I try to mention the fact that some of you think your 
parents are too strict and they're too hard on you and so forth, and I'm guaranteeing you there are kids all over town who would love to have parents like yours. Because they not only love you, they're trying to help you do right. Thank God for that. You say, I don't like it when they try to help me do right. I don't like it when the Lord chastises me, but I thank Him that He loves me enough to do that. I love, thankfully, He loves me enough to steer me and direct me, and I'm thankful that I had parents who did a lot of things biblically as they were raising me, even though they weren't Christians. It was a different time. It was a different era. And thank God I had those disciplines and so forth. And what I've found many times with young people, whether, you know, in, in uh, teenage, in, in junior high and high school, and even in ones in college and so forth, and talking to them and so forth, many have the idea, you know, if I do like the Bible says, I'm going to be different than everybody. And they're like they're afraid they're going to be different than everybody. And can I tell you, you ought to be afraid if you're not different. Amen. Everybody, because the Bible says... He wants us to be a peculiar people, zealous of good works. If you live like the Bible says, you will be different. But you'll not only be different outwardly, if you do it out of a right heart, you'll be different inwardly. And you'll have what we preached about this morning, about that one in your life who satisfies that thirst that only Jesus can satisfy. And we need that, all of us need that in our lives. Notice the significance of the still small voice. What doest thou here? Have you considered where you are and what you're doing? Would you consider tonight, are you saved or are you lost? Are you saved? Do you know for sure you're a child of God and you're on your way to heaven because you've received Jesus Christ? Or are you without that? Make no mistake about it, until you receive Jesus Christ as personal Savior, you're on your way to hell. You can change that by receiving Him. But what's your condition, saved or lost? Are you Christian? Are you right with God or not? Are you serving God faithfully or are you being slothful and negligent toward God and the things of God? I'd ask you tonight, if you're not where you ought to be, would you get to where you ought to be? Because where you ought to be is where you need to be. You need to be that way. Concerning your spiritual condition, place or places you should be in your life. One asked tonight, are you in the has-been mode? Or are you still serving God as you can and should at whatever time of life you're in right now? Are you doing your best to serve God? Are you endeavoring to thrive on the wind, the earthquake, and the fires? Or are you just consistently hearing and heeding the still small voice of God, the still small voice of the Holy Spirit as He deals with your heart? Are you content, are you content to be faithful? Are you content to faithfully walk with God and serve Him and hear and heed the Word of God and love Him and serve Him in the everyday duties and responsibilities of the Christian life. Things like praying, reading your Bible, being faithful to church, witnessing, inviting people to church, personally learning and growing as a Christian and doing what you should. Thank God. 
for the occasional fireworks. But don't, don't ever cease to be thankful for the little fire in the furnace. It's so much more valuable in your day-to-day -day and week-to-week -week life. Thank God for that. Unsaved friend and wayward Christian, I wanted to remind you this, and I'm done. God was faithful, and He was full of grace toward Elijah. He ministered to Elijah in his time of weakness, and He restored him. Thank God that He's faithful to do that in our lives. With love and grace, He says to us tonight, Come unto me, all that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. His Word also talks about confessing sin and getting right with God when you know you have strayed. I would encourage you with those words, but I would also beware. God was also faithful to execute wrath and judgment on Ahab and Jezebel and the prophets of Baal. You go against God, He is a God of wrath. He's long-suffering, but He is a God of wrath. Acts 17.30, the Bible says, In the times of this ignorance God hath winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. Let's stand together tonight with our heads bowed Amen. and eyes closed.